Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Terry Talks Fiction. Well, after another snap lockdown here in uh, Victoria, and also still battling a head cold, coming back after a week off, uh, now that the kids are back out of the house, and back at school, and no longer actively using the computer and the microphone to do their schoolwork during the times when I'm available to record. We're coming back with another review episode, because what else do you do while you're in lockdown but sit down with a good book, or a good TV series, or a good video game? In this case, I did the second of the two, and I used the time that we were stuck indoors to catch up on my knitting in front of the TV, which was showing Invincible the Amazon Prime cartoon series. And before I really get into it, I'm going to caveat this review with with two points. The first point is, this is a really good series. It's really fun, and it's really compelling in a very dark and brutal kind of way. And the second part of that is that this review, while I normally tend to try to keep spoilers out of it, The nature of this show means that spoilers are going to be fairly unavoidable. So if you do have an interest in this uh, show, and this is your first exposure to it, is this podcast, I highly recommend you stop and you go and give it a shot, give it a watch. The final scene of the first episode will tell you exactly what kind of a show you're in for, especially in terms of brutality and gore. So if you're the kind of person who hears, uh, you know, hears comic book adaptation, hears cartoon, and thinks, ah, this is going to be for kids and it's not for me, or if you're the kind of person who doesn't like to see fairly brutal, gory depictions on screen, then that scene will show you exactly what kind of series you're in for and whether you're going to enjoy it or not. And in three, two, one, we're kicking into full spoiler territory. So that's your last chance. Really last chance. Absolute last chance. Because that final scene just shows Omega Man, the Superman stereotype character in this series, completely obliterating the rest of the top tier superheroes of this universe by means of doing things such as breaking necks, chopping off heads, using their hands to sort of, you know, the uh, the Khan from the uh, Kelvin timeline, just complete crushing of the skull, watching brains and eyeballs go everywhere. It, it really tells you what sort of a, what sort of a cartoon this is going to be. And those opening scenes repeat throughout the rest of the show because it this is a not a cartoon that shies away from really depicting the true horror of actually having superpowered people amongst squishy humans kind of like some of the scenes from uh another amazon superhero property the boys which i've also started just started watching recently this show really doubles down on just the sort of the body horror, the grisly, grim reality of what superpowers actually sort of would mean 
there's still a very, very big veneer of fantasy around it, but it takes that sort of step further than the traditional then the traditional Superman's going to, you know, sock the, the bad guy on the jaw. That bank robber will learn his lesson and never do it again. Well, in, in this case, if someone with Superman's power and, and you know, uh, skin that is stronger than bullets and muscles that can lift mountains was to give you a gentle tap on the jaw, your head would explode. And that's the sort of thing which happens in this series. So if you haven't watched it and you got this far through the episode and think, oh, maybe that's not for me, then uh, that, that that's your warning. If you think, oh, that sounds pretty interesting, um, then it's definitely, definitely worth a watch. Because although the visuals are arresting for a sort of bo- that body horror regard, the themes that are behind that are really interesting. And you sort of need the the gore on the screen to be uncompromising, so that you can use that horror to examine the characters. And this is a type of cartoon and a type of series which really it entirely lives and dies on how compelling the characters are. Because unlike a lot of the other adaptations of you know, the the Superman God bad idea, which I've called out in previous episodes and previous reviews has been a very a very lazy approach to a character like Superman, where you 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 can't think of anything interesting to challenge the all powerful deity, so you or what if they went bad? What if oh, wouldn't that be interesting and unique and cool if Batman had to fight Superman? Again, for the 90th time. So the point is that a lot of the times those adaptations really focus on the physicality of the conflict. They focus on the mechanics. So like the Batman versus Superman, you've always got the kryptonite in there somewhere. You've got the the get-out-of-jail-free card. You've the kryptonite gas grenades from Batman v Superman movie, the the red sun lamps from Superman Red Sun, where he was uh, uh, landed in communist Russia instead of uh, the USA. And you've got the Batman of Russia using red solar lamps to sap Batman's strength so that they can get to punching again, which most of these things come down to. These conflicts always seem to come down to who can punch who the hardest. In this one, and... I say in this one like it's something new. I recognise that this is a comic book adaptation and that the comic book is basically as old as I am. Um, But seeing it adapted on the screen, following the long tradition of every other property being adapted for the screen before it, it's really interesting to see that uncompromising brutality going through everything. Because this isn't a series where there's going to be the kryptonite for Omega Man. The kryptonite that the government are relying on is Invincible, Omega Man's son, and the titular protagonist of the series. Though you could make a, a good argument that really the the role of protagonist is shared in this one between Invincible and Omega Man. 
Um, I've, I've completely forgotten their uh, their civilian names, so you'll have to bear with me calling them by their silly superhero names for uh, for the duration of the podcast. The point of the brutality throughout the entire series, leading up to the final final episode and a half, where Invincible and Omega Man are really just sort of unleashed on each other. The point of building him up as sort of this kryptonite and building up the rest of the series as uncompromising and brutal, it all stitches itself together at the end because Invincible is just simply completely outmatched by Omega Man and he never, he doesn't have a chance and he never had a chance at stopping this completely unstoppable force, which is Omega Man. So this is a conflict and this is a situation which can't just rely on any sort of fancy tricks, any narrative devices to just bring it back to who's going to punch who the hardest. Oh good, the good guy can punch the hardest. That's not how this conflict resolves and it was never going to. When when you look at the, how the rest of the series is laid out, it's pretty clear from the get-go that Omega Man is horrifying and the concept of having a completely unchecked and completely uncheckable physical god on the walking the planet who if he decided could easily just destroy everybody there it's really engaging it really sets a grim tone around the entire events of the series and it plays really well into the division of character knowledge, like what the other characters in the series know about Omega Man, and what the audience knows about Omega Man. Having watched Omega Man just eliminate his only competition at the end of the very first episode, when he completely destroys the rest of the Super Friends. And it's really cool because a lot of the clues to exactly why Omega Man did that are peppered throughout the series so that the audience understands and realises what is going on pretty early. And watching the rest of the characters catch up to what the audience understands is... It's a fine line balancing that separation for the between the audience and the characters because you don't want the audience to get there too early and too easily because then you're going to spend the rest of the episodes watching the other characters in the show just just stumble around and you'll be thinking well, why are you so dumb why can't you put this together equally you don't want it to be too obtuse because otherwise it'll seem like it's come from nowhere at the end so the decision to show physically show on the screen omega man just absolutely brutally murdering the justice league of this story makes a, a clear distinction for the observer that Omega Man is a villain and he has, there's something which has motivated him to do this, but we don't know what the motivation was. And shifting the audience's narrative tension from, did Omega Man do this, which is the tension that all the other characters in the series are focused on, and shifting it away from that to why did Omega Man do this for the audience means that 
we can still watch the characters in the show floundering around the first question. But because the second question is sort of nested in that first one, the, the who and the why of who murdered these superheroes and why did they murder these superheroes, it's, it's, a, it's a good balance. It keeps the audience engaged with trying to figure out why, because we know who, whilst watching the others get slowly piecing together the clues to point to Omega Man, and while they're doing so, they are confronted by the idea that, but if it was Omega Man, why would he do this? And because they have that same half of the question that we do, it prevents that idea of thinking, God, these guys are dumb. And it also, it becomes pretty clear pretty early on that, you know, the government department and the the head of that, who's heading up this investigation, knows that it was a Mega Man and knew pretty quickly. You could almost, I'd like to rewatch this and see the first few episodes again, just to see if, He's giving away the clues that from the outset he knew it was Omega Man, because I'd suspect that he probably did. But just trying to put up the face of doing an investigation, including Omega Man in that, so as not to tip Omega Man off, but also trying to use the investigation to ferret out the question of why, and from his perspective, then the related problem of how do we deal with this? Do we just have to accept it and get on with things and hope that nothing worse will happen and that we can sort of just live underneath this just villain who is just amongst us? Or do we have to deal with it? And how could we deal with it? How can we possibly take out this basically all-powerful creature? It's super fun. And the little clues that are seeded in for the audience like knowing that the murder happened immediately after Omega Man realized his son has Viltramite powers. Um, the same Viltramites being the alien race that Omega Man is, who seeded out across the galaxy, and has, he uh, came down and was assigned to uh, to watch over Earth and be Earth's protector. It, you know, it's the spin on the Superman origin story that from the end of the first episode, when you hear him explaining how Viltramite society is and how they're sent off to be protectors of the universe, and then you see him just murder all the other superheroes at the end of the first episode, you immediately know something's up with that story. And you can immediately make the connection that now that there's two of them, now there are two Omega Men, basically, he is stepping up to the... you know, step two of whatever agenda he has been pursuing the whole time. You can see that. An audience can see that. The characters can't. They don't know why this is all happening as it's happening. And this is a show that really lives and dies on how engaging all the characters are. And there are some brilliant characters in this. Invincible is great from the as the kid learning how to use his powers that we've seen a million times before. 
He, he fits the role really well. He has good try-fail cycles. The trying to juggle a relationship with someone who is, of course, clever enough to figure out that he was uh, being a superhero the whole time because they live in a world with superheroes and he just disappears all the time whenever there's a crisis. I mean, it's it's kind of refreshing to see that, you know, of course you're not that damn stupid. Of course you can put two and two together to very e- easily equal four. And just all the, the B plot that is running throughout the entire thing, which is the new team of superheroes that has to step up, like basically the teen titans of this universe, all the, the second stringers, the, you know, who would be sidekicks to these great and ultimate superheroes, you know, the alpha team. You know, you've got the, the, the Robin to, to someone's Batman. You've, you've got Aqualad. You've got Wonder Girl. All these second stringers now have to step up and fill this, this role. Um, but without having had the mentorship, because for whatever reason in this universe, the Justice League didn't have sidekicks. They didn't bring anyone up behind them. So now this entire new set of teen superheroes ha- have got this massive void to fill and are just not equipped to do so. So Invincible fits really well into that sort of storytelling arc and can help the audience see just how unprepared the planet is for dealing with a creature like Omega Man, while at the same time, because Omega Man is his dad, you get this, you get the best of both worlds. You get a lot about what Omega Man's plan actually is through the context of how he's training his son. Now that the gloves are off, now that his son is a superhero, is a Viltramite, and will be around for the long haul, now Dad needs or can afford to include his son in his plans. Whereas before, if the son just turned out to be a squishy human, then he didn't have the responsibility that he has now to to train and to bring into the fold um, his son, which is a, a fascinating character approach and pays off really well at the end. And there's a lot in this the series which sort of reflects that two-facedness of Omega Man's character. Because we know, again, we know from pretty early on, there's something very suspicious about the story he tells. And at the end, when he reveals that, yeah, the Viltramites do go uh, around the galaxy to help out other cultures, but from their perspective, helping out another culture means bringing them into the Viltramite Empire, which means completely dominating them and just completely taking them over. So you send out these agents and one per planet is enough because they're so just goddamn powerful. All you need is to have one on there and they can take over the entire planet and hand it over to the Viltramite Empire. Um, that two absolute two-facedness, the in, inner self and the external self, is reflected through pretty much everything else in the in the story. You know, you've got the the government's agency and um and the demon investigator who is a fascinating character in and of himself but is particularly fascinating in the way that you know he's he's digging for the secrets he's digging to uncover the truth 
Um, is Are his motives completely altruistic? Perhaps not. Are the government's motives for covering it up completely altruistic? Absolutely not. Cover up and bring the truth out are not compatible goals. So it brings those two into conflict. You've got the the villain of the series, the which I I adored. I, the, this B the B level villain who is the first villain that you see them see fought uh, when he attacks the White House. Is uh, you know it's a, a scientist with comp- his massive super strength and super powers and super invulnerability, but who also has cloned himself and. Neither one of the clones know which one is the original and which one is the clone. Not that it really matters. And watching the two of them go through the series as well, just constantly sort of at each other over who's the clone and who's the original, is uh, that, you know, that inner and external self again. Um, it, a different way of sort of thematically approaching the same thing. There, there is a truth as to which one of them is the original, but it doesn't matter because the reality is that no one else can see, and maybe because they, because of the way that they live and the way that the transfer process works, even though there is one of them that's the original or one that's the clone, they can't really be sure which one of them they are either. You know, you live the false self for long enough how much of the false self rubs off onto the onto the true self. And equally, the way that that's approached by the character of Robot uh, as well, this autonomous superhero, this, you know, the, the sort of the Iron Man, the uh, old, well, actually, he's more like Ultron, I guess, um, character who turns out to be just being, contr- being controlled by a, pretty much a brain in a jar who is uh, horribly, he's sort of trapped in this horribly deformed body. Um, So has got these avatars of himself that everybody else just assumes is the creature that they're dealing with. They just assume that robot is a robot. Not that robot is being controlled by someone else. And that the difference between the what the people assume when they look at robot and the truth that lies behind robot you know a a physically ugly truth but emotionally powerful is again sort of reflective of the omega man good versus bad um theme that's going running through the entire series and just the synchronicity of all these different plot threads dealing with the same core concept and each of them giving the audience a different perspective and a different insight on things as the series progresses all builds up to make the final confrontation with omega man all the more powerful and re- it all informs that what otherwise is a pretty abrupt backflip uh, of Omega Man's. So to spoil the final final scenes of the series, you have Omega Man and Invincible 
finally come to the point where they are at odds. Invincible is this, is, you know, he's young, he's fresh, he's human enough to be attached to the planet Earth emotionally and just he can't handle the idea that his father is an agent that has been sent to dominate and just basically to destroy uh, human independence and just bring them into this galaxy-spanning empire by really just murdering anybody who gets in his way. And Omega Man is at the position where he's like, well, now that Invincible, now that my son exists and is a potential ally or threat, you know, his duty is to determine which and to either bring him on board as an ally, which means revealing the truth, or deal with him as a threat, which would mean killing him, which would mean removing the problem for the Viltramite Empire's expansion, and also revealing the truth. So either one, it's it's putting Omega Man in a sort of a lose-lose position, or it would be if Omega Man actually cared at all about humanity and the way that they people think of him, which it's pretty clear that he doesn't. When he finally gets the opportunity just to lay it all out to his son, just get it all off his chest, that, you know, he just finds humanity just to be absolutely so beneath him and just living with them all these years has been horrible and a chore and distasteful. It really, again, it sets the tone and it sets the stakes for what is about to occur this the complete and utter beatdown of his son. And it, it's horrible. It's really confronting just to watch Omega Man completely, mercilessly destroy his son. While at the same time, you can tell that there's a part of Omega Man which, which is desperately like an abusive parent. He, well, he is an abusive parent, very much in this case. But that sort of it's got that stereotype of the abusive parent of the I'm doing it for your own good. No, no, really, I'm doing this because I love you. Kind of just, just that, that fantasy or that arrogant fantasy of Omega Man's that if he could just, just get his son to stop and just, just listen. Why won't you listen? What do I have to do to you to make you listen to me? who has the important information, the right way of thinking. It's really brutal, but it's been set up through all the other steps of the series and the other plot lines, the, all the other narrative explorations of the false self and the real self, when Omega Man finally gets to unleash his real self. You can see, you can see where it has been touched and sort of where the real self has been infected by the false self that he's had to live. The idea, so that human idea that people can be better, that, you know, that love is more important than power, that connections between people are what really matters, and like that's where your loyalty should lie, is to your family and your friends not to necessarily a far-off ideal. And that comes out when you see it, when he beats his son 
so badly that he's knocked out his front teeth and he's you know he's about to murder his son he gets that flashback of when his son was you know a gapped toothed little 10 year old or something who had hitting his first home run and you see the scene where omega man's wife who he has just finished saying he views as sort of like a pet because of the difference in their lifespans and just how beneath him that, uh, that she is. That, you know, she comes over and really engages him and breaks through his Viltramite pride and gets right in, worms something into his heart where he watches his son achieve this very banal goal from Omega Man's perspective. He, you know, he hits a ball and he runs around. And whilst he's doing that, Omega Man could be off doing any number of things. But instead, he sort of, he lets himself let all of that go. And he exists in the moment of sharing in his son's triumph. And this small, inconsequential thing for him. But he recognizes how much it means to his son. He, for his son, this is not small and inconsequential. It's a huge achievement. And his son looks over and sees his dad and his mum just cheering him on and being honestly proud and honestly engaged in the moment. And, and it snaps back to just the visual of this bloodied and bruised and beaten child that he has he's an inch away from murdering and in that moment of internal character conflict because of what we've seen with the clones and what we've seen with robot and how we've seen like the leading the double life if you're not very good at it, like Invincible wasn't, you know, you can let things be, things are very obvious uh, to his girlfriend, you know, his friends find out, he he's stuffing up all sorts of things, whereas Omega Man is an expert at this. Even as an expert, even as this cold-blooded murderer, you know, who's just sliced through an entire passenger train of people and murdered everybody just to prove a point there's still been that uh, an, that part of the false self which has imprinted on the true self that the infectious optimism of humanity has wormed its way in there and he finds you know like he he's looking at his bloodied hands and he's looking at his son and he just can't take that final step because there is, whether he'd like it or not, there is a human connection between him and his son. And that's the sort of scene that wouldn't work if you didn't have such a good narrative development of that theme throughout the entire series and throughout the other narrative threads. And it's really satisfying. To uh, because I have to, because I uh, it's the way I think about everything. To put it into that sort of archaeological framework, you've it's 
it's all the context that's been set. It's all the the way that we understand how this works in different situations, like different, like the way you understand different cultures or different time periods would use an artifact, and then you find, and then you see it now. You've uncovered it right at the end here, and you can understand this scene because of the background you've got in all the other in those other narrative threads. And um, it's it's really worth it. it. It's a great scene. It's a great series to lead up to that point. And I'm really excited to see what will happen in series two. When uh, when they return to, to this. And just to see how the narrative progression of the next series will go. Because the narrative in this one was very tight. Like the theme exploration. Um, is present in every of the narrative threads. And it makes me a little nervous, but also very, very interested to see how that's followed up in the next series and whether it can be as tight and as well-developed as it was in this one, whether everything will be as reflective of the central theme of the series and whether it will lead and crescendo up to sort of that one point where everything falls into place and lets you just really understand what is happening behind the eyes of a character in that moment. I'm really, really excited to see where it goes and see how that's handled. But what about you guys? If Have you seen the series? Uh, have you read the comics and actually know what's coming next? I've tried to stay away from them um, just to make sure that I don't accidentally spoil myself for something I'd like to see portrayed uh, in the in the season two. Um, but is there something else you got from this? Uh, did you enjoy simply just the, like, the cool variety of superpowers that are on display here? I barely even touched on that, like all the different superpowers that the, uh, the, the team team had which were fantastic um all the different ways that just superheroes and superheroics and superpowers were interacting with the world there's some really great scenes uh, including where you've got the concrete fella who can cover his body in, in stone or concrete and his position inside this like criminal empire which is taking advantage of superhero people um, there was so many good little threads that, that went throughout all this. And each one of them, I thought, were reflective, again, of that false self, true self uh, separation. But did you pick up something different? If you did, uh, be sure to let us know on the Discord server at Talking Fiction. Uh, we will put a link to that in the notes below this episode. Or reach out on Facebook or Twitter as well uh, again the links will be below at tc mcmanus on twitter and terry talks fiction for the facebook page i'd love to hear your thoughts and, and get into a nice discussion about this because it was a really fascinating series i thought but i'd be super keen to hear if you had any foibles with it especially since this is a theme that we've seen explored a lot by now uh, there's there's obvious parallels to things like Watchmen and Irredeemable and any number of cartoon runs or comic book runs where Superman becomes the villain 
or Batman becomes the villain or any of those sort of things. I'm sure Marvel has analogous ones as well. Um, I didn't grow up reading the Marvel comics like I did the DC ones, uh, so I'm not as familiar with those explorations, but I bet your bottom dollar that they're there. So hit us up and let us know. And until next time, I hope you read, watch, or play something that's really exciting and good, and I look forward to talking to you about it soon.